On this episode, we talk about project-based learning, dancing teachers, and creating alternative worlds. Hello, gents and ladies, and welcome to Experiment Q podcast. I'm Tudor, your host, which means it's my job to interview world-class researchers, educators, entrepreneurs, and creatives who design amazing learning experiences all over the world. For everyone out there interested in education, this show is for you. Our guest for episode number seven of Experiment Q podcast is the epic Vibhav Chabra, the co-founder of Makers Asylum and STEAM School in India. Epic, not only because I know him as a kind human and a good friend, but I witnessed his great work and results over the last two years as he shifted a fab lab from a physical space to a learning community that crosses disciplines and borders. Vibhav is a mechanical engineer by profession and a carpenter by passion. A graduate from Boston University, Vibhav spent two years of his career at iNetra, building eye diagnostic devices. He then moved to Mumbai and co-founded the Makers Asylum with Anul Mahidare. Vibhav is also an instructor at MIT RedX, MIT Media Labs Health Tech Lab in India. Among his humble brags are the love for making furniture, building machines, flying, diving, and winning at ping pong. In this episode, we focus on the story of STEAM School a 10-day multidisciplinary program where 100 people from all ages and walks of life come together in a makerspace to solve grand social challenges. One hour packed with fun and good stories. Without further ado, please enjoy episode number 7 recorded on December 13th in Mumbai. Vaibhav, thank you so much for taking the time out of STEAM School, which is a very busy schedule and project this week. And thank you for offering your flat as our podcast studio today for Experiment Q uh, podcast. For me and also for everyone listening, uh, can you tell your story in under one minute, who you are, what are you doing these days and, and so on? Hi, Tudor. Thanks for being here. It's good to be at my home with you. Uh, and uh, real quick I'm a mechanical engineer and a photographer I graduated from Boston University in Boston and uh, now I run a makerspace called Makers Asylum in Mumbai and New Delhi alright name three hashtags that define your work or hobbies so when it comes to work it'll be makers gonna make hashtag make break create and when it comes to my hobbies I would say hashtag fly Cool. What is the favorite app on your smartphone and why? So recently, the one that I've been using a lot is actually a podcast app called Chorus, which cool. is developed by a friend. So, Why are you involved in education? I like the education world because I felt like uh, back in the day, I didn't really fit into a classroom that mm. I was put into uh, when I was a boy. And at the same time, it was hard for me to cope with my peers and at the same uh, and with the faculty. So, uh, but I learned a lot from the real world when I graduated from school. 
and started mm. studying in college and at the same time started going a little bit beyond into the real world i think i learned a lot from there so i want to be a part of the education ecosystem just so that what i learned as a part of the education uh world of from the real world i would like the others to also be learning that cool so talking about learning what did you learn in the last year that had a wow impact on you what did i learn in the last year that had a wow impact on me i uh learned how to paraglide so i'm now a solo paragliding pilot sounds amazing <laughs> What do you believe to be true that uh, lots of people will disagree with? I believe that learning from something else like flying or scuba diving also is a very very major part of learning in general. So what I mean is that uh just being studying in classrooms or uh having that degree is one thing, but at the same time something like scuba diving or uh paragliding or all of these other activities that we do around us those are very very essential to our learning environment and i think are a very very big point in the way we should be learning and nice. i think people might disagree with that but hey i like it <laughs> what book or object did you gifted the most to other people and and why so recently i read this book called uh rejection proof what is it about uh it's about rejection it's a rejection <laughs> therapy it's 100 days of rejection that uh the author jing yang i hope i said his name right we we will link all the books and uh, all the resources that you mentioned in Great. the show notes so, so. he's a, he's a, he's a boy from china who uh wanted to always be an entrepreneur and moved to the united states to actually become an entrepreneur but had a regular 9 to 5 consultancy job and he was constantly doing that but at the same time when he tried to actually start a company he figured out the only reason that he was failing was because of the fact that he was scared of rejection mm. and i think all of us face that in pretty much everyday lives so he tried this thing that he did a 100 day uh he gave himself a challenge that every day for the next 100 days he's going to do something that's going to get him rejected <laughs> and uh document that so he did like really fun things from uh going to a uh KFC or I think or a Burger King rather where he asked for a burger refill after finishing his burger and things like that so simple little things which are really really funny ways of getting rejected <laughs> but at the same time I think it was a very empowering book so I gifted that to a couple of my friends so talking about rejection uh continue the sentence when I fail I do what when I fail I reflect and on the opposite side what is success to you a hot cup of coffee early in the morning when i wake up right next to my bed that's good every every <laughs> single morning every <laughs> single morning the day i don't get my coffee it doesn't feel like success then it's a I'm failure and then you reflect <laughs> yes it's, i'm doing something wrong about that <laughs> i see now going deeper a bit into makers's alum the maker space that you develop in um, in mumbai and delhi after you came back from us can you describe what makers as alum is today so uh makers as alum as i like to see it currently is more of a learning playground where individuals from all sorts of walks of life come in and uh they have free access to all sorts of tools like 3d printers laser cutters carpentry 
electronics. But it's not just only about the tools as well. It's about the culmination of these people coming together, the cult feeling that we get when these people get together. And the tools acts as sort of uh, an enabler for them to channel their energy and to be able to prototype their ideas. But more importantly, it's also a place to learn. So for people who don't have access to those kind of tools or have that kind of knowledge of using these tools, they come and learn that those tools over there. And uh, they learn out of their own will. So they're already self-motivated and coming over there, learning uh, how to experiment with those tools and then applying that knowledge by using them and creating their ideas. I see. So what particular event or story inspired you to create this spaces by now too? Oh, that's a bit of a funny story though. But I'm going to step back a little bit and tell you a little story about what I did after college then. So when I graduated from Boston University, I really wanted a job. And the first job that I had was a very super boring job inside a clean room where we were testing out these tiny little mirrors that are used at the back of telescopes. Right. Uh, and it's uh, the, that field of uh, uh, technology is called adaptive optics. And the mirrors that we were ma making were called deformable mirrors. So they were like these tiny little mirrors with like a thousand particles of mirrors inside it. And when light came from different stars and galaxies to the Earth, these mirrors would help focus that light and give you a crisp, clean image. Cutting it short, after that job, I wanted to move and I moved to this company called Ayanetra, which was a startup which was based out of MIT Media Labs at that time. And uh, that I really wanted to work with them, but uh, even after my interview, I did not get the job. Mm. So I ended up volunteering with them <laughs> for a very long time. And as a volunteer, being a mechanical engineer volunteer, most of my work was to actually build the device or come up with a basic little go and do some errands like pick up the 3D pins and do small little things. And to do all of that, I used to go to a makerspace over there called Artisan's Asylum. Cool. Eventually, they did hire me as uh, an intern and then as a mechanical engineer and eventually as a project lead within a span of two years. But cutting it short, uh, working with them gave me... Uh, that idea as to being able to come up with an idea and see the world and see how the world is using a product that you create and uh, come up with improvements and quickly and rapidly prototype it and learn bases on that. So that was really exciting working with them. What we were building was uh, a small virtual reality device that hooked onto your smartphone and with okay. a couple clicks of a button, more like a game that you had to play inside it, it would give out your prescription so that you could go out and get your eyeglasses uh, depending mm -hmm. on what your power was. So it would tell you the power and then you can go and get your eyeglasses. I was working on the hardware part of this device. So okay. the physical uh, uh, parts with a team of people. Uh, I was a mechanical engineer. There was a lead mechanical engineer and other designers who were part of that team. And it was a lot of interesting learning that we had. But while we were doing this, the other very exciting learning was from uh, Artisan's Asylum to actually be a part of this amazing community of people and learn from them on a regular day basis and work with them to be able to create these things and make them happen and learn about these tools, which was very, very exciting for us. Uh, eventually, Anethra asked me to move to India because obviously I understand the language and the device yep. had more impact in India. So I moved to Mumbai and started traveling various parts of rural India, testing out the device and coming up with 
hardware uh, improvements. improvements so that we could make the device a little bit better and more exciting and make it easier for people to use uh just around the time something funny happened the ceiling of the office fell down <laughs> uh inside a tiny little office so what we did was that any which way sundays in mumbai used to be a very very boring day in my life because the fact that i didn't really know anyone over here yeah. uh this was the first time in my life that i came to mumbai and uh at the same time i wanted to do more with my hands and there were no tools in india there was no maker space at that time in india uh where at least in mumbai where i could mm. go and have access to those kind of tools so i created a small little meetup group and put an event out on facebook on just my personal page and just like looking for friends and people who if somebody knows people in mumbai who would like to get together with me on a sunday to uh, build a table because when the ceiling fell down it actually broke all the tables and everything so wow. uh and interestingly about 6 odd people showed up and we built some tables on a weekend and it was super fun and we celebrated so <laughs> i think that was a basic humble beginning to make as a salem which see. was about getting together off like minded people who wanted to do something on a sunday and build a table and sort of share their tools and very very yeah. cool story so out of those people that showed up first or maybe someone else later who are the people that were crucial to building makers asylum and how exactly did they contribute so uh there were various a lot of people who've been involved in makers asylum and uh, every single one of them who came on the first day are still sticking around and i still see them at the space even today mm. and they've been active members of the community which is amazing but few of the people who i would like to talk about would be the first one would be anul who i met in uh, Ma- at maker fest a maker festival that happens in amdavad and it yeah. was the first of the kind they invited us to set up like a maker space over there mm. so i went there and uh, that's where i met anul mahidaria who is my co-founder my advisor who has been working with me since then and it was really excited to meet him over there because this was the first time i met another hardware geek in india and i was mm. just super excited about the fact that dude this guy is building laser cutters and 3d printers inside his bedroom cool. and he lives in mumbai i was like dude i want to know this guy so i <laughs> asked around my friends and i was like does anyone know this guy i want to meet him and uh, eventually luckily we were in the same area at one point we caught up and he was like hey he's going to come down and that's where the story sort of began where he started teaching people and getting together the other very important person <clears throat> the next very important person who joined was kirti shetty mm. she was uh, a friend a colleague at inatra and uh, uh just as the time was approaching where our tiny little room which was less than 100 square feet where yeah. we started was b- getting really claustrophobic <laughs> because the moment like three people or four people would sit inside it we were all sweating and there was no space to move so uh kirti offered to give us her garage in bandra where uh, which was about somewhere around 250 square feet so she offered to give us the garage to take it up for some time to figure out what we want to do not only that she also joined us mm. and uh, she, because she loved the idea and she started giving a very beautiful artistic and creative element to make as a salam i think mm. which was lacking at that point because anul and i were both hardware guys and kirti brought in the beautiful artistic side into the picture unfortunately she's not with us any longer as uh, but she was definitely a big element of it and then there were various other people there was yash there was uh um mr anurad krishnan there's 
various other members of the team. And uh, now recently, a friend who joined is Alan Rodriguez, who is now joined in as the CEO of Makers Asylum, yeah. who was uh, uh, initially my advisor for like a good year and a half and helped us through all our rough times and was always there like a stick mm. by my side to make sure that we don't fall and just gave me his helping hand. And uh, finally, when the time was right, he uh, hopped in full time to actually lead this with me. So very happy to meet all of these people and be a part of it. Cool. We'll make sure we mention their names and put a link to their uh, LinkedIn profile or something so people can can know the the heroes of the story. So besides, you mentioned Artisan Asylum in uh, Somerville <coughs> in, in uh, uh, Massachusetts as a place that inspired you to, to start uh, Makers Asylum. Um, is there any other community that inspired you in the way they organize things, the way they keep the culture alive or any other elements that you you regard as inspiring for you? So the first thing that obviously comes to mind is my experience at Burning Man <laughs> last year, yeah, which was, I think, a life-changing experience altogether because when I went there, I was expecting it to be like a big gigantic party or some sort, but that's not it. What Burning Man is, is precisely the thought of a person to create an alternative world and they've been able to do that with the help of the community and uh, it's just so beautiful because the rules of Burning Man are so simple that everyone wants to follow it because when you're part of that community you, you're not on this planet because it's just completely different from anything <laughs> that you've been uh, at in your life because uh, everyone wants to give everyone wants to feed you everyone wants to be there for you and uh the more people that you meet at Burning Man, the more power of the community that you feel of how mm. strong that uh, loveness and bond is there for Burning Man. And I think I feel strongly for that space as well. And one day I would love to go back over there again and give something and be a part of somebody to actually uh, make food for other people or do something over there. I and see. I think that's the strength of the community, that, that want that comes from within me to say that I want to go and serve over there. And I think mm. that's uh, what's beautiful. <coughs> uh, another one that I like personally, which is in India, is uh, the coalition. Uh, that's how we met. That's yeah. how we met. That's the first time which got two daughter India. So, mm. hey, that's where our friendship actually began. So that's uh, a very, very important story. That was fun. And also the start of Steam School, sort of, was coalition. Uh, mm. The coalition is very beautiful just because this is, I think, one of the only festivals that happens in India that uh, I personally, well, I, I curate for one, for the Maker Stream, but yeah. I personally like to be there to attend it as well mm. because uh, the audience is so beautiful and so energetic that when you're part of it, you actually feel alive and it's <laughs> never really feeling like you're networking or any of those things. It's more about just being there and being a part of that experience and uh, living together and sharing those drinks together and sharing those conversations together. And I think that's what's really exciting about that community and means a lot to me. Very nice. So you mentioned the Burning Man and creating a new world or culture. So what are some of the values and, and rituals that you try to insert within the Makers Asylum? So what, what is your kind of culture and the philosophy behind the space? Uh, maybe even with an accent towards people. So what, what do you try to do there? 
So when it comes to Makers of Salem, uh, I try to put as much of my learnings into the space as possible. One is the fact that the space is open and welcoming. There are no barriers of entry. Whenever somebody comes, they're always welcomed in and the space just, we usually invite them as welcome home because it is like a home for us. And uh, there are no security measures or other things at the space just because we trust in the people to be able to take that charge for themselves. Uh, for example, all the equipment which is at the space, there is nobody manning it or there are no locks at it. It's mm -hmm. completely out there and open for the people to actually go and access and touch, feel, play with it so that they're not scared of the equipment. The other thing that I learned from a friend, a common friend rather, Mitch Altman, yeah. was that uh, uh, the only rule sort of that we emphasize at the space is to be excellent towards each other or mm. to respect each other. Because I think that's another thing that's very, very essential in a community because uh, only if you're nice to somebody else will they be nice to you. And uh, only if you give respect to somebody, they put that respect back. So when we talk about that at Makers Asylum, uh, we request our members to be nice to everyone else because yep. that's only when you will get back or people will be nice to you in terms of uh, helping you with their projects and stuff. But at the same time, without even saying anything, to be honest, what's beautiful is that people have built the spaces by themselves. <laughs> the, uh, the entire story of Makers Asylum, the four spaces that we've had till now, all of them have been built by the members. The mm. space has been crowdfunded. The artwork on the walls is by the community. Uh, the tables that are built is by the community. Whenever we don't have any equipment, people donate equipment. Uh, most of the tools are not actually makers asylums, but actually from the community, which is also very interesting to see because uh, the tools have been more of a byproduct of these people coming together. And everyone likes to give something to the makers asylum so that more people can access it. It's not that they're giving it to the makers asylum. They're doing it just because they know that makers asylum is only going to provide to everyone else. And I think that little bit of these gestures that we see from people on a day-to-day -day basis where they want to give to the asylum is uh, a beautiful, beautiful feeling to be a part of or that culture that is there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's very exciting. So you mentioned that it kind of started that the birth story of the, the, the space was the ceiling falling down. Besides that, were there any other struggles or problems in building up the space, including, you know, financials? How do you f finance the space? How do you cope with other challenges that you have on the way? You've touched a very touchy topic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> there have been so many stories and instances when we've almost shut down. Mm. And uh, I, can, I can put down at about five very strong ones where we thought that we would never come back up again. Wow. Where I'd also r applied for jobs and actually decided to move on and shut the space down. Wow. But somehow or the other, uh, I think the only reason why we got back into the space or started running it again was that when I looked at doing something else, <laughs> I really thought that I had nothing better to do in my life than to run this space because it wasn't exciting enough or at the same time it wasn't feeling right. Mm. So... I would always just come back and be like, oh, I think I can give it one more try or mm. some door would open up just at the last moment. And somehow we would just scrape through that last bit or somebody else would push me 
uh, and bring me back up. To give you a couple of examples, uh, uh, so we had to leave, for example, the Ayanathra space, the first ever space where the space ceiling fell down. Uh, we were asked to leave because it was too messy on, for example, a Monday morning because on Sunday all these people would come <laughs> and it would become crazy. So on Monday, my uh, boss at that time would be like, hey, uh, things are getting lost and I will not like this or I don't want this to go on for too long. I think it's time for you to find new space. Then when we were at, uh, when we moved into the garage, eventually uh, we had some differences between uh, some friends and uh, we had to let go of the garage. So mm. when we had to leave the garage, that's again one of the times when I was like, okay, there is no point of doing this. It's time to move back to Delhi. So I decided to shut this down completely and uh, applied to a bunch of jobs where I was going to go and work. And interestingly, <laughs> one of the places that I applied for a job to was India School of designer innovation uh they offered me a job but while i was sitting in that final meeting of uh deciding my salary at that point i don't know what got into me but uh i decided to tell them that i'm going to volunteer for them and work for free but in exchange for a space within their space where i could run makers asylum <laughs> so we cool. could take it a little forward and uh, i i have i seriously when i look back at it i don't understand why i did that or what possessed me to do that and what possessed them to agree to me as well. I have no mm. idea because they're a big design school and they agreed to partner with me. And they said, all right, fine, you can set up Makers Asylum inside. And they agreed by most of my rules and they gave me some rules and we had a little bit of back wow. and forth, but we cool. figured things out. And uh, somehow that is another part of the rejection therapy thing, right? Because I just tried and I just asked that basic question. I want this, I want a thousand square foot of space in the prime, most prime space in Mumbai for free. And I will not pay for electricity. I will not pay for anything else. And the members <laughs> who will come to the space will be coming to my space to use the space. So we figured out a way for barter and it sort of worked and the asylum survived. Mm. The third time was <clears throat> when ISDI asked us to leave just about eight to 10 months later, uh, ISDI had an issue with the government and, uh, they had to uh, set up a canteen. And uh, the only place that they could set up the canteen... The maker space. ...was the maker space because of the fact that it wasn't in the ventilation system of the entire school because it was mm. on a, it was externally ventilated. So they gave me a month notice and they said that, hey, dude, it's time that we set up this canteen over here, but we should definitely work together. But I think we really, really need the space. So... And we were also outgrowing the space because there were so many people at the space and we didn't know how to deal with it. And mm -hmm. ISDI was trying its best to provide everything because they loved the energy and we both were working very well together. And But the only problem was they had an issue with the canteen and we didn't have a space. So we eventually had to pack our bags from there too. But this was the third time in my life where once again, we didn't have any space, no plan going forward. And the asylum, I think, was shut for about two months at this time because mm. we couldn't find a space where we could move into. And we didn't really have a business model that could pay rent and salaries and so many other things to people. Till now, we were just running on volunteering people or interns and we, we were just sort of making it work. Uh, and eventually, we raised a crowdfunding campaign and moved into our new space. That is the current space. That's the current space. That's about 8,000 square feet and has that we do pay rent for but uh well 
if you want to hear, there's another interesting story to that. One of the jobs that I'd applied for right after Inetra, when I moved uh, out and was moving into the garage space, yep. because I thought that it's time for me to get a real, another job instead of running Makers Asylum, because I was leaving Inetra, was at this company called Imaginarium. Mm. where uh, I wanted to actually, I proposed them an idea which was similar to Makers Asylum, where I talked about building a community around 3D printing. Yeah. And at that time, two years back, they said uh, it doesn't make sense for them because they were a truly 3D printing business company. Yeah. But two years later, they were also starting to delve into <laughs> building a community around 3D printing and things like that. So I reached out to them once again. And this time I had a very different ask. I wasn't asking for a job, rather I was asking for a partnership and a sponsorship to give me space. So they gave me space in their old building and mm. the founders of the company, they came down and they were so happy to see Makers Asylum, but at the same time, they were also very unhappy to see that I was not a part of their team, which was a beautiful <laughs> thing. And they gave us the free space uh, for some months and eventually we started paying rent to them and that's our current space. Yeah, so and in that current space right now, there hundred people from seven countries doing some awesome stuff and I want to transition from your beautiful story of the Makers Asylum how you uh, made it work to the STEAM school so you mentioned an, um, an interesting element before that you see Makers Asylum as a learning playground now a lot of maker spaces start as this membership fitness for making where you basically uh, just buy the, the membership, you come every month, you work on your own project, not necessarily you are involved in all of uh, other projects and so on. And my feeling is, since I know you for about two years, that you slowly shifted into being this learning playground and, and focusing more and more on education. So how did it happen? Why why do you put so much uh, effort in, in, into the education and learning and, and what what happens at Makers Asylum now? So, well, to be completely honest with you, the first reason why we went into education was nothing philosophical or thoughts, but it was actually sustainability. Mm. So the first thing that we started doing was getting into workshops and trainings was to actually uh, figure out a way that we could make Makers Asylum sustainable because we saw that people were coming into the space, yeah. but as a member, they weren't staying there for too long. And the dropout rate was really high. And uh, people would come whenever they wanted to. But they were all looking to learn whenever they came. Mm. So we started doing some workshops within us. Uh, like I started teaching 3D printing. Anul started teaching electronics. That really started getting these people in. And at the same time, making the space sustainable. And allowing us to buy more machines that we could share. That's how the education part really started. But eventually, when I started delving a little bit much deeper into it. Where I started... Uh, learning about education or the fact that I f had the belief that I could actually do something about the education system because of the fact that we were, the kind of energy that we saw in the people, the way we, uh, the simple things that we did at the space was just teach them <laughs> on how to build things <laughs> or allow them or help them to solve a problem. And the way they loved it and the kind of respect that they gave us was so empowering, to be honest and so rewarding. And uh, I think uh, that was the turning point when we started really looking at education as not a way means of sustainability, but as a means of focus rather. Yeah. Because uh, it really made us feel good about ourselves that we could 
really do something. Mm. It gave us a purpose. So you started with, you know, as you mentioned, workshops with whatever machines and, and knowledge you had in-house and then expand to uh, the community that came and delivered workshops, right? Precisely. And then one of the biggest projects that are running is Team School. So can you explain what Team School is, uh, how is it structured, and, and perhaps what, uh, what is your goal with, with Team School? Sure. Uh, so the Steam School started with an idea uh, of bringing people from France and India together and uh, figuring out ways in which France and India can collaborate when it comes to innovation and education. Because I feel like there's some very beautiful stuff that's happening in France and there's some interesting stuff that's happening in India and it's time that we start working together. Uh, that thought of collaboration was actually induced by Sandrine. Uh, she is the attache of science and technology of the French embassy. When she asked me to go to France and spend some time over there to uh, learn about what's happening over there and to s talk about what's happening in India when it comes to the maker culture and see how we can do things together. So I went to France for a month and that was just around the time that I'd met our dear friend Tudor, <laughs> that's you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and uh, so I went to France and spent a lot of time in different, different cities, starting from Rennes to Paris to Lyon, Montpellier, Toulouse. And in all these cities, I was visiting various makerspaces and universities and trying to see what's going on and what are the kind of festivals that are going on? Why are these festivals even there? Why do the people even have these events? And uh, how do these people really learn? And that's when I visited and spent a lot of time at CRE, the Center yeah. of Research and Interdisciplinary, which is based out of Paris, which Tudor, our friend, was <laughs> a big part of back then and was learning there. Well, a student, a big part is too much. <laughs> Just a student. <laughs> yes, a student. A guinea pig, that's how you told me that you were. Exactly, yeah. A guinea pig <laughs> for education, where you were testing out their models of uh, learning by doing and yeah. uh, spending different parts of your life in different parts of the world and actually uh, learning from that. And to be honest, that was one of the most inspirational things that I've ever heard from anyone because uh, for the first time after talking to you and at the same time after talking to uh, Francois and Gaël at Cree, uh, I looked at education in a way that was so much more and was more about the world than about yeah. a classroom and exams and mm. sitting down and uh, learning or memorizing things, which is very, very beautiful for me because this is, I think, the first step into that part. And I really wanted to bring some of this back into our country and at the same time show that this is possible, that you don't need to learn in a classroom. Yeah, You can learn from the world. You can learn from everything around you. And when you learn from so many of these things, you're able to solve problems in a much better way rather than uh, reading a book. Though I'm not saying reading a book is a bad idea. But, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is that just reading a book is not probably the best idea. It's about ap applying that knowledge as well and about solving those problems as well and to figure out what those problems are and things like that, which is something that I thought was really beautiful and something that I learned. And I think that was the spark behind Spring Team School because yeah. when I came back to India after that trip, uh, we had long discussions about how we can start this partnership and we decided on doing a school 
or sort of a winter program of a sort where we would have students from Cray and from France in general come into Mumbai, spend some time with us and have a lot of students from India as well over there in the same room where they would spend time with each other, learn from their own experiences. So it was a lot about peer-to-peer learning, learning from each other and their experiences and at the same time learning problem-solving approaches by Cray and their mentors and uh, learning about the tools that make us asylum and using all of those resources to actually solve some exciting problems which matter to the world because that's something uh, that makes sense because we can't, yeah. Yeah, so this is the second edition, right? There was an experiment or a prototype in 2016. Now it's edition number two. Can you just take us through what exactly happens in terms of agenda and, and timeline and what's expected uh, from the students? Uh, <laughs> so the first time that we ran this, we were obviously very, very disorganized. And Tudor, you would know this very well because you were a big part of it with me, where we both ran the program together. The first time when we ran this, we... Uh, uh, sort of based it on the United Nations Sustainability Goals where we worked on them or using the different tools at the asylum and at the same time different design thinking and problem solving approaches. But this year, on the other hand, one, the scale has gotten much bigger. We have 100 people over there from seven different countries. We have 40 different mentors from all over the world again who have come and volunteered their time to be there. So apart from just the scale being there, the entire agenda was adapted in a way to associate with the people. So if you want to think about the basic timeline, the way the process works is that the students walk in on the first day and they get exposed to the different problems that are there in the world and the interesting solutions that are there to them as well. So we introduce them to the five SDGs that we focus on. The five SDGs being uh, health and well-being, sustainable and smart cities, quality education, uh, clean water and sanitation, and one more, which I can't <laughs> remember right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the five SDGs that we have that we focused on, and based on the five SDGs, they learned about the different problems that there are, which the mentors and the facilitators and the different organizers that were a part of the program that got together to curate them. And once we had these curated SDGs, and the problem statements, they were able to see them and understand what was the perspective of these questions. The next day, they went into problem solving and design thinking, where they went deeper into these problems to get a better understanding of what the problem is really about and what can they do about it as well. Day three and day four was more about learning when they went around and learned the different tools at the asylum where they learned about 3D printing, laser cutting, carpentry. They learned about electronics. They learned about CAD modeling. They learned about CNC machining. And they used all of these machines as tools to be able to widen their horizon just from a textbook approach or a a, a software approach into thinking about what all is actually possible. Because software is there, but hardware is also something which is becoming more and more accessible today. And it's becoming more like easy wear, I would say. It's not hard anymore. Mm. And uh, along with the capabilities of software and hardware, along with other psychological approaches, we're able to put things together in a beautiful way. 
So the learning yeah. was important for them to get exposed to all of this. So also related to to the agenda and, and what you mentioned, um, you said there are mainly people from France and, and India, but the, they're students in these countries, but they are coming from other places. So this year there are seven countries in total. What I've noticed also that there are people from age 10 to 45. Uh, what is the motivation uh, behind this diversity of discipline, ages, and countries? Like, is it intentional? What do you try to to do by by encouraging this diversity? It is definitely intentional, <clears throat> and it's in intentional for the very reason that it's all about peer-to-peer -peer learning. The moment people from different backgrounds meet, there's so much to share and talk about, and uh, the kind of perspective shift that you get when you meet somebody from a different background, it's uh, beautiful to be able to solve any problem. For example, when a doctor meets a chef, he has no idea what the life of a chef is all about. And he has no idea as to how to cook a meal maybe. But, uh, and same with the chef, he has no idea how to do a surgery or how to mm -hmm. give anyone a prescription. But at the same time when they meet, it's so beautiful because they're able to associate in different levels where they're able to learn about the different side of a life and get a different perspective shift into the way they think. Mm. And uh, that interdisciplinary culture is, I think, what's very exciting for the future. I mean, I can give a personal example of mine. Please. Where uh, photography and mechanical engineering. So those are two different worlds altogether. Being a mechanical engineer and learning photography and being a part of photographers was really, really exciting for me because I had no idea what photography or uh, light is all about or what is it, what does it take to capture a frame or what does it take to capture an expression and what does it take to be able to capture a face. So all of those things were very, very ex exciting insights that I learned from photography that I could bring back every day into my engineering world where uh, the moment I started learning more about lights, I was also learning about optics, though I didn't realize it at that time. Or I was learning about the way to see a bigger picture while making some something. Because as an engineer, you're always breaking down a problem into something smaller. But as a photographer, you want to see the bigger picture mm. and then focus on small little parts of it that really matter. So interesting. as an engineer, then you start looking at the bigger picture and then focusing and finding your spots that you can really contribute to. So... There's a very beautiful perspective shit that you get in your thinking and your life, which uh, I think is very essential when people from different backgrounds meet and exchange that ideas. Mm. Related to this, I'm very curious um, because on 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 one hand, what Steam School is, it looks like a long hackathon. So it's 10 days, people come together, they form teams, they choose one of these SDG challenges and they try to solve it via proof of concept or a prototype. So it's kind of, it has elements of competition, so teams working to solve a problem. Uh, but at the same time, you you stated that you're all about sharing information and exchanges and diversity and helping each other. So my question is, w how do you see uh, competition within learning environments, mm -hmm. education? So wh what is your opinion on that and, and how can we do something about it if uh, if you have some solutions. So a couple of little things that we did for Steam School to avoid 
competition is <clears throat> one there is no prize at the end of the game so at the end of the 10 days like when you go to a regular hackathon there's usually like this big prize that you're always striving to achieve and that's sort of narrowing your creativity to say that hey i want that prize and you work towards getting that prize and you want to compete with others to get the best project out there at steam school there is no prize at the end because we're working for the planet when you're working mm. for the planet or when you're learning or when it's all about learning over there it's more about sharing so automatically when the notion of the fact that you're not going to get anything at the end of this but it's all about being with each other and learning so what makes them because working for the planet is a very long term goal and incentive so what makes them come and invest 10 10 days into a program that is going to it's not really maybe it's very difficult to show results immediately like 10 days and you can feel the impact on, on your life or on your skills like how do you make sure they have motivations to to go through the program i think one they come in because of the learning aspects of this uh, steam school the learning aspects of steam school where they're getting access to all the different sorts of people that are coming there and uh the fact that they're able to learn about problem solving approaches and at the same time learn about all the tools and everything and the element of the want to learn in them gets them there in the mm -hmm. start which is i think the most important part because when you're starting a journey of any sort if you go with an open mind of wanting to learn i think you get the most out of it what makes them stay on the other hand is the relationships that they build with the other people within their teams and the people that are running the program and uh <clears throat> uh to facilitate those relationships we have a lot of parties we have a lot of food we have mm. a lot of fun time together we do a lot of interesting activities where they get to spend time till late sometimes till in early in the morning where they're together in that journey of wanting to be there because uh it's about them more than it's about anything else it's about their time it's about their uh friends at that point and it's about their experience and it's about their learning and uh i think that is something that makes them stay mm. so one element of the steam acronym is technology and there's a lot of it at steam school so machines laser cutters 3d printers and so on at the same time we've seen this week that there were visits to the schools where kids don't have access to technology and and don't have a, a, a computer or a network at home so my question is how do we get this technological trends that become more and more part of our life you know and at least some segments of population like smartphones ai automation and so on and and those communities that don't have access to it so how how do we bridge the gap and perhaps how can we make uh technology part of the the learning process in general so there's no straight answer to that i would say but initiatives like this where they're actually spending a lot of time as engineers and facilitators where they're going and spending time and going for this field trips and spending time and learning about that different uh school altogether or being a part of that environment is an initiative to allowing them to start those conversations so uh if you see it from this perspective that 
most of the boys and girls that are there at Team School, most of these entrepreneurs who are there at Team School right now, had never ever been to a government school before. They were privileged, or some of them at least, most of them were privileged enough to be able to study in a public school of some sort or a private school where they have had a decent education. Yeah. But going into this really semi-rural uh, space where the kind of things that are available are not exactly to what they're available, they're able to go there and start those conversations. And they're able to, and as they're going there, they're also taking those tech and gear with them into that school mm. where they're exposing them to more. The school, school kids over there are getting exposed to them as well. And they were having those amazing conversations. And we could really see that during the field trip where the participants were really engaging uh, with the students of the school and learning from them and at the same time sharing some insights as to what they thought. And I think those conversations are very important. Those trips are very important. And in the long term, to do more with them is also very important to apply s some of these projects that they're building into the schools. So for example, Gulenjian last year, he worked on a mathematics solution device. And at the same time, this year as well, when I went to a bunch of the quality education teams, they're all working on interesting projects that could possibly apply to these schools. And uh, which is something very exciting because they're building something for them now. And that's a very beautiful bond because when you're building something for them, the people that you're making it for also become a part of the team. They're a very essential part of the team because mm. they're the ones who give all the inputs and feedback and everything else. And then it's just one long cycle where uh, projects, I feel like, really break that barrier of classes and society and other things because then you're working for a common goal of creating something. Mm. So talking about the common goal and the long term, uh, where do you want to take STEAM School uh, next? What's the future of this project? So uh, STEAM School was always thought of as a diploma-based course school of some sort where which is going to be based on project-based learning so i would like to think of it like a alternative education school or an alternative education university that could possibly exist one day where it would not be just 10 days long but it would be a program where people could be a part of and while being a part of this program you're actually solving some exciting problems as well mm. so while you're learning how to solve problems you're also solving some essential problems that are out there and uh creating solutions for those problems. I would also see SEAM School as a barrier breaker of what we were talking about of different classes in society because projects of those nature that these people are working on with uh, the slums in Dharavi or with uh, government schools or in government hospitals, if we can involve those people more and encourage them to be a part of SEAM School as well, that would really start breaking those barriers when the user becomes the maker. I see. Right now, the the hub of Steam School or it's it's Mumbai, um, but there's so much more that can be done. Um, even if we just take that you have another space in Delhi, and at least the program could be also taking to Delhi. Besides these two locations, do you have plans or any thoughts of taking Steam School to other cities within India and then globally? And if so, how exactly do you plan to do it? Yes, we would love to take it to different parts of the world, especially uh, 
one place which would really be exciting for us would be France because we're already working with them. And yeah. uh, taking Indian students to France would be really, really beautiful because that way students from this country would also get that exposure that stu students from your country are getting to be while they're over here. And I think that relationship would be very beautiful and grow in an interesting way. But at the same time, the school is something that is valid in pretty much all parts of the world. Mm. So having it in places like Vietnam or having it in places like Indonesia or having it in places like Africa or other parts could also be really, really exciting because when people from all around the world can come in and learn about a city and be in that city which needs development or needs uh, anything, can learn from the different minds that are out there, work with the locals, work with the people over there who also want change and want to improve. The school acts as a sort of a catalyst of helping that change, of helping that uh, uh, learning to go faster and create exciting projects which could possibly be applied. You mentioned that this school, this type of school where people from different walks of life and ages come together to solve problems, could be a way to break barriers between classes, between disciplines, economic backgrounds, and so on. Related to this, I also want to ask, um, traditionally education is, is, was an institution to create workers, workforce. Right. And by having work, that's how you get a living, you pay your bills. If we imagine the future in which there will be AI and automation taking over many, many jobs, what other functions could education have besides creating workers? Very interesting question, because uh, that is one thing which is very interesting and exciting for the education world, where we don't need the regular traditional workers anymore, because that stuff can be done by AI. And uh, we can see that on our day-to-day -day lives, and we are reducing the number of jobs that are out there. But what's really exciting about humans is our ability of being unpredictable. Mm -hmm. We can jump across walls. We can f break a wall and find a route through it. And we can try and create exciting different avenues. We don't have to always follow a straight line. We, we, we can adapt really well. And I think that's what's exciting about us. But our education, on the other hand, is not adapting as fast as it should. Mm to our needs and to our abilities. So uh, over there, concepts like the White Diploma by Cree and others by around, or by, or for example, the blockchain approach towards education is super exciting because that allows individuals to be able to create their own life journeys and yep. use the different approaches of different learnings that they're getting from around the world to be able to create that degree, which is an interdisciplinary degree that's required or rather uh, very needed in today's world where the traditional work can be taken up by AI, what you really need is somebody who can think and join the dots and be able to see things that are, or be creative in ways that, are, that computers cannot be. Mm. You said something that I, I, it's a perfect bridge to the next question, connecting the dots. And uh, this year we have students that are, you know, age four and, as I said, 44. At the same time... Age 10, not four. 
We had a party where there was a like a ba newborn baby of yeah, humans. Fair enough. Okay, you can okay. get that. <laughs> he was also all right. Ten, <laughs> ten to forty-four. Um, at the same time, we know that learning doesn't happen in a bubble, which is classroom. There are many actors involved, like the community, parents, uh, relatives, and so on. So within the projects at Makers Asylum but also maybe your general view. How do you see learning um, at a community level and what can be done to involve uh, parents and, and other players into learning experiences, maybe such as Steam School or others? Interesting question. Yeah. Uh, the way that you could think of involving parents is... Well, I don't know the right answer to this question, but but I can give you as examples of what we've seen, rather. Yeah. So the 10-year-old that you see at the asylum, uh, who is a part of Steam School, his mother is also a part of the Steam School. <laughs> I hope you notice that. Yeah. So while the kid is learning, the mother is also encouraging him to learn and be a part of the learning. She's also getting exposed to all this kind of thinking that's out there. Mm. And I think that generation gap which is there between the mother and the child and the fact they're able to share the same experience that reduces that generation gap mm. and that allows that mother and son to be on the same page. And when the mother and son are on the same page, the mother is not just teaching the kid, but also learning from the kid. So <clears throat> that approach of uh, that mind shift rather of uh, families being involved mm. is something that I see as a important element into the game where a mother and a father, more than just teaching a kid, should also learn from the kid and grow with the kid. Mm. And uh, that is something I think which should be encouraged more. That's interesting. Um, I'm personally curious to see more projects. Perhaps Makers as Alam can figure something for like younger children with the parents. That'll be lots of fun. Um, now, trying to sum up this episode and, and having um, some highlights that people can use, perhaps some tools and resources, uh, I want to ask a few questions that uh, would help us to have some show notes on the episode with uh, kind of specific actions and tools that people can use if they have similar ideas or if they have a makerspace or they want to run a program similar to Steam School. First, um, is there any book or resources that you recommend that people read uh, before they they venture into starting a, a makerspace or a Steam School model? So when it comes to starting a makerspace, uh, there are various amazing resources out there. Like if you just search how to start a makerspace, and there are some very very interesting documents that are written by Artisans Asylum and by other makerspaces like Noisebridge and others that have documented their way of starting a makerspace, which is very interesting because that gives you uh, the list of questions that you we all figure out as we go along. But I personally feel that can be a little intimidating at the start as well, mm. because the people who want to start a makerspace or if you have an urge of starting a makerspace, I think the only way to possibly do it is get out and just do it. Because mm. if you look at the story of the asylum as well, it was all about getting people together to build a table. And that's how the asylum started. So it was as simple as that. It was just about building a table. And uh, then now it's where it is. But uh, 
when you look at other makerspaces as well, all of them have had a similar story. Yes, you can use that documentation to be able to see what's, uh, how to make it better and uh, more organized. But I think it's a little intimidating in the start. So I would just suggest get out yeah. there, build that table and get started. We mentioned a lot in the STEAM school the word empathy and breaking walls and mixing people of ages and disciplines. So now we'll try an exercise in which you will step in the shoes of a couple of people from different roles and ages and you'll try to answer uh, if you were that person. So first, imagine you are an educator, a teacher. Perhaps in a public school you don't really have resources and technology. Um, but you are creative and you want to do things uh, based on your experience in the maker's asylum and the maker culture, uh, what would you do to, to engage your students, to have more fun activities with them? I would dance with them. Why? Because I learned from a very, very dear friend who happens to be sitting in my home right now, <laughs> Tudor Talev, who has been dancing with all the participants at team school and engaging them on a regular day and keeping them engaged for 10 full days of early morning classes. I think it's working. So I'll take that from you. All right. So educators out there, dance. Dance with your students. It will create a beautiful emotional connect. And awkward moments. And awkward <laughs> moments where you're rather <laughs> allowing yourself as an educator to be more vulnerable to the student. Mm. I think that's what's important, right? Because when you dance with the student, you're actually allowing yourself to be showing your vulnerable sides to them and showing that you're also human. You're not yeah. just an educator. You're at the same time just another person like them who yeah. can move and dance and be a part of you. And I think that's what's powerful about something as simple as dancing with them. Mm. That's interesting. I, I didn't really think of that when I just started to dance. I just loved it. So uh, next one. You are a teenager, perhaps a bored teenager that hates going to school, but you're very capable. Like you outside school, you learn stuff, uh, you, you connect with people, you want to do things. How can you combine or how would you combine if you were that person the need to go to school because your parents want to or because it's a norm and learning independently on the side? I think that does sound like the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I don't have to imagine too hard because uh, back in school it was pretty much like that but I was a bored teenager but if I look back and figure out ways in which I could possibly make my school life a little bit more entertaining I would uh, if within the constraints of the education system I would like to see or read those books again with a bigger perspective of the stories that mm. they offer. Or mm. I would like to go back home and uh, see how, for example, algebra is used in the real world mm. and uh, see documentaries and other things where those things are actually being applied. Because I think that was something that didn't really... Uh, I wasn't shown in school. I was shown this entire history of uh, India or... Uh, <laughs> Um, mathematics and other things but at the same time I didn't know how they could be what I could create from there mm -hmm. so I so, would so the applied definitely side. Like apply a little bit more and figure out ways in which I could apply them at home I see the third role imagine you become the minister of education what are the first three actions or laws uh, that you adopt and implement in, in the field of education 
that's a big 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 responsibility <laughs> try okay uh so the number one law that i would apply towards education would be to have some emphasis on project based learning all right as a part of most schools in india where there is the part of theories from book but there should be some based on project based learning uh the second rule or rather thing that i would like to apply towards the education system that it should be by will mm and it should not be forced because like in steam school we're not taking any attendance for the 100 participants and the drop off rate has been rather marginal maybe one two people coming in and out coming late and uh, what's been really beautiful is also to see that when they come late they feel bad that hey it's my friends and i, I came late and i really feel bad because of the fact that my friends are waiting for me and uh they uh, they i I'm, i'm going to be delaying the project so that feeling that comes from within to be there on time is very very essential so uh that part i feel like should come inherently from mm. the school and rather than saying that you have to be there at 7 in the morning you if you're late 5 minutes you're going to stand in the corner or mm. the fact that you'll be punished i think that's a rule that i would like to break a little bit and say that it's not essential to be there on time but it's about the learnings that are more important and valuable and the third and the action. third one would be about the fact that there needs to be a lot of togetherness in the school uh mm. so when i say togetherness uh, somebody did a very beautiful experiment uh, at the asylum where uh, this uh, student was trying to explain about the education system he took five fingers and put it into a glass of water and then he took them out and then he showed the participants that all his fingers were wet at different levels so what he was trying to say is that all of us as individuals up it into the same school but we're not the same we're not the same height we're not the same human being we're not coming from the same background but the education system is the same that is the water level in the glass is the same and when you put us all into that system we're all going to dip it in different ways so yep. that's something which is very true to the education system because it's very standard and i think that's very essential it was essential because we were a workforce that was being created but now things are changing and when i say togetherness i think it's about rather putting emphasis on growing together and having equal amounts of water being in every little cup and the cup being dependent on the kind of person that you're dealing with mm. so allowing that togetherness when it comes to the growth of every individual i think is uh very beautiful and either which ways if you look at us we're all going into different different fields today where somebody is doing amazing in the field of architecture somebody is doing amazing in the field of art and most of us would agree that the education system taught us a lot which was uh gave us a perspective of life but at the same time they're not doing anything directly related yeah. to their education system so i think that is something that they're learning as we go along because we're learning on the job that yeah. phrase being said that learning on the job or learning on the go maybe that could be another exciting way of dealing with the education system is by thinking of the education system as a way of delivering and creating jobs and things like that cool 
beautiful ideas as a minister of education. Now, one level <laughs> up into the power. Imagine you are a benevolent dictator and you have absolute power all over uh, the advertising world in the world. So every banner, every, um, you know, piece of advertising that is on the newspaper or online or on the street, you own it. Yep. And you can display for a minute one message all over the world. Like there is one minute in the world that every single screen, every single print displays the same slogan. Right. Uh, what, what, is, what do I read there? I think you would read, learn to learn. I think that sums up pretty much everything that I said. The fact that we should all be learning for learning rather than learning to achieve something specific. Mm. It's about, should be about learning to really understand the journey of that learning phase because I think it's the most beautiful part of all our journeys where every time we're learning something new, I think that's uh, when we're exposing ourselves and getting outside of our comfort zone and being able to be and grasp that information. I think it's the most exciting time. So I think mm. we should relish it a little bit more rather than just getting that piece of paper that says I'm an yeah. architect. So last question, which is not a question, it's kind of an open microphone moment because we did it for, for days and I'm going to implement this in the podcast. Imagine now that you're not talking to me, but directly into the camera to someone who is listening, either this camera or this camera, <laughs> uh, or, you know, uh, in the podcast, someone is on a commute in Paris or I don't know where and listening to you and you address them directly with a message and it's totally open style uh, you can talk about whatever you want and you address them directly with a message what would that be mr right <laughs> 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 uh, you put a lot of pressure on me over there but i'd like to say one thing that when you're doing something whatever it is uh you're going to work right now probably and you're doing your architectural work or your design work or your engineering work I would like to request you all to do something else on the side, whatever that might be, whether it be uh, playing a game or flying or uh, creating a hobby, music, photography, anything else that you've always wanted to do, do that on the side and learn it very passionately. Because when you do that something else, you're able to see the first thing that you're doing with a much bigger perspective. And you're able to see it as a bigger picture that you're able to see, for example, your engineering job as a bigger thing because you're out of it for the time that you're doing your photography. It's like meditation because you're not thinking about engineering at that time. So you're able to see it from a bigger perspective and apply it in a much more beautiful way. And the things that you learn from photography also relate back to your engineering. Same thing with engineering. It relates into your photography and it's going to reflect in your photographs. And that interdisciplinary culture, I think, is... Uh, something that I would like you all to adapt because it will really, really give your life a beautiful perspective. Thank you, Vaibhav, so much for your time here in Mumbai. It's 6 p.m. And uh, immediately after this, we run to the STEAM school to continue the program. Um, it was a pleasure to work with you and to have this conversation with you. And the very last moment, where can people get in touch with you and, and find more about your work and... You know, if if they if they listen to the to the show and they want to 
uh, ask your question or get in touch facebook and linkedin is pretty approachable so you can find me over there you can shoot me a message i respond pretty much on decent time uh at the same time uh you can write to me on my email which i guess tora will mention at the bottom so yeah that should be good okay thank you and uh, all the best with steam school and other projects that you plan thank you thank you tora Hey there, a quick note before you head to your next adventure today. First of all, thank you for your time and support. It allows us to share stories like this with the world and do something that we truly love. Second, this episode is part of a larger project where we travel for 12 months in 40 plus countries to look for and tell stories of amazing educators, entrepreneurs and innovators who shape the future of education. If you are interested in this project or you want to find more, please head to experimentq.org or patreon.com forward slash experimentq and find more details and behind the scenes stories. Again, thank you so much for your support and time and we're looking forward to see you in our next episodes. All the best.